Welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. In each episode, I speak with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. If you enjoy the WSU Wheat Beat podcast, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. And leave us a review while you're there so others can find the show too. My guest today is Dr. Andre Smirtenko. Andre is a cell biologist at the Institute of Biological Chemistry in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences. Andre joined WSU over six years ago. Andre wants to understand how cells respond to drought stress and how we can harness processes inside cells to improve crop yields in arid climates. Hello, Andre. Oh, good morning, Drew. So our, our last uh, guest was uh, Dr. Sanguine, your, your collaborator in some very interesting work uh, that was talked about in uh, the Spokesman Review back in, in May, um, yes. which I found very interesting, so that's why I invited you. you to come. Can you tell us a little bit about this new work? Yes, yeah, so, uh, in broader sense, our work addresses the mechanisms of plant movement through plant body. We all know that water is important for plant life. In particular, it is, it is an essential component of photosynthesis. So plants uh, uh, use lots of water and um, without water, uh, you know, the plant life will stop. We use uh, watering quite a lot uh, by irrigating our fields and we can substantially increase the yields by putting more, more water on plants. And the way it works, the more water, the higher is yield. But then uh, we, we very little understand what happens after water is soaked into the soil. And so this is uh, a work that we are trying to address in collaboration with Dr. Karen Sanguinet lab. Okay, so this um, water is kind of, and how it moves through, through a plant is kind of similar to how blood moves through our bodies. Is that a, an appropriate analogy or are there important differences? Yeah, we can probably uh, say so. There are lots of similarities. In human body, blood moves through uh, blood vessels and it carries together with it nutrients and oxygen and it takes away carbon dioxide and products of cellular metabolism. In plants, water and minerals uh, move through uh, specialized cells that called vascular cells. So uh, water is uptaking into plants through roots and then in roots it gets into the vascular cells inside roots and these cells are connected to the very wide web of vascular cells in all plant organs through which water will uh, and minerals will get there. And, and, but then uh, there are also quite a number of significant differences. Uh, and first of all, how extensive is um, uh, vascular system is in plants? So if you will put uh, together all blood vessels and capillaries that we have a human body, uh, we will have about 100,000 miles of vessels. So it's a pretty impressive number. That is a large number. But if you will add all vascular cells in plant body, we will have about uh, 90 million miles, which is almost the distance between uh, Earth and Sun. And it uh, exemplifies how important is water movement in uh, 
in plant body. So they invest so much energy to construct a very extensive system of uh, water supply vessels. Okay, these vascular cells, are they easy to see in plants? Yeah, in fact, yes. So if we will uh, cut through a tree, we will see wood. And wood, in fact, made of vascular cells. Uh, in a way, plants are very clever with using these cells. So on one hand, they uh, use vascular cells to transport water and minerals through their body. But on the other hand, they use them uh, to support uh, uh, the weight of their body. Yeah, because in order for tree to grow and uh, uh, keep the weight of the shoots, it has to be pretty strong. And vascular cell, in addition to being able to, uh, to conduct uh, liquids, they're also very tough cells. They make plant body very strong. Okay, so again, they transport things, but they're a little bit different than our blood vessels because our blood vessels don't give us any strength. So can we still apply our knowledge about blood circulation to understanding water movement in plants? Uh, not quite. Despite lots of similarities between how the blood is moved through human body and how the water moves through plant body, there are a number of profound differences. And the first one is what drives uh, the movement of liquids. In our body, we have heart that uh, works very hard to pump blood through all the vessels. And in uh, plants, they have uh, transpiration. Transpiration is evaporation of water from the leaf surface through very tiny openings called stomata. Evaporation of water creates negative pressure inside uh, vascular cells and then this negative pressure drives water movement through the whole vascular system from roots all the way up to the, uh, to the shoots. And another important difference is morphology of the vessels. In human body, blood vessels are hollow, and so it doesn't obstruct uh, the movement of uh, blood, whereas in uh, plant cells, vascular cells, they are actually individual cells, just connected to each other. And in order to move through plant body, uh, water has to passage through cell to cell uh, via a specialized pores, which are called pits. Okay. So if, if, the vascular if the vascular system consists of these individual single cells, how can water move such long distances within a plant? Yeah, so the pressure generated by the evaporation is a very important factor. And another one are those small uh, uh, connections between vascular cells, which are called pits. So pits is, a, in a way, is a modification of the cell wall that surrounds a plant cell. And they're much thinner than the rest of the cell wall. And uh, inside the pit, we have like a tiny mesh. This mesh allows water and minerals to move through plant body, but it uh, prevents uh, passage of microbes, say, that could accidentally okay. get inside the, uh, the vascular cells. In, in, in the human body, we have immune system that would deal with all uh, bugs or like microbes or viruses that would get inside the, uh, the blood vessels, but plants don't have immune system. So the way they protect uh, themselves from spreading called the kind of pathogenic organisms is uh, uh, reducing uh, the, uh, uh, the passage through the vascular cells. Okay. So do bigger pits uh, allow faster water movement, uh, which in turn might support faster plant growth? 
better photosynthesis? Yeah, so uh, absolutely. Under uh, good irrigation conditions, bigger pits would uh, facilitate water movement through the plant, resulting in a more efficient photosynthesis, more efficient uh, uh, carbon dioxide assimilation, and greater yield. Okay, so under well water conditions, but what about dry climates like we have here in eastern Washington? Yeah, uh, under arid climates, big pits could spell a significant problem for plants. This is because uh, of the negative pressure that is created inside the vascular system through evaporation cannot be compensated by the supply of water through roots uh, in uh, drought conditions. And this negative pressure inside vascular cells would create uh, air pockets, which are also called embolism. So embolism blocks uh, the particular vessel and it prevents water movement through it. Of course, as we discussed, plants have millions and millions of vessels. So if one vessel is blocked, it's not a big problem. Uh, but then the, the problem is that air pockets uh, can spread from one vascular cell to another vascular cell through pits. And the size of the pits is proportional to the efficiency of spread of these um, uh, air pockets. In another word, the bigger pits, the faster is going to be the spread of the air pockets. And then if eventually all vascular cells will be blocked, then the water passage through plant body will be completely inhibited. And then even if the drought period will be over, and the rain will start, plant will not be able to recover. Okay, reminds me of siphoning, uh, I shouldn't say this, siphoning gas or siphoning something and getting an air bubble in there and not, not being able to move water because of it. So the same sort of thing happens inside the, inside the plant. Yeah, ab absolutely. Okay. And so under arid climate, uh, having smaller pits uh, can offer a significant advantage. And in fact, research shows that uh, plants that grow in a well-irrigated area have larger pits, whereas plants which are adapted to grow in arid climate have much smaller pits. Okay, so, so can we use this knowledge to make plants more drought tolerant? Uh, in other words, make plants with smaller pits, would that make them more drought tolerant? Yeah, indeed. So now we come into understanding that uh, drought tolerance is a very complex trait and it requires adjustment of many different aspects of plant physiology. And of course, one very important aspect to increase efficiency of photosynthesis under drought, but another important aspect is optimizing plant body morphology so that it can handle water more efficiently and in combination with other biochemical processes could sustain greater yield under reduced water availability. And I think uh, morphology of pits is a very important aspect of this engineering work. Okay, so is it really possible to manipulate or control the structures in a plant? It would be a very tempting possibility. At the moment, we are learning about how pits are made. We identified uh, one of the components in collaboration with Dr. Karen Sangevnet's lab. Other labs in the world have also been very successful finding uh, genes that are important for the construction of pits. And now we are trying to build a, a general picture about how plants do it. And once we have mechanistic understanding of this process, then we would be able to develop technologies for engineering pit size to optimize it for a particular environmental conditions. 
And certainly for varieties that we develop for the central Washington state, reducing pit size would provide a lot of benefits. Fascinating. That, that The whole idea of pit size and drought tolerance, I've not seen those two things come together before. So it's it, to me, it's fascinating how complex drought tolerance is and how the more we learn uh, about plants and basic physiology, the more we can understand how plants adapt to, to this uh, stress. Yes, absolutely. I think our goal is to develop a set of technologies that uh, we can apply to solving particular problems uh, in adapting varieties to uh, particular grow growth environments. And once we have kind of this portfolio of tools, we would be able very efficiently to apply to all necessary situations. Well, thank you very much for uh, sharing your, your research on this fascinating topic. If our re listeners want to um, learn more, is there a website they can go to or a particular place they can visit to see more of what you're doing? Yes, they can visit my uh, website at the Institute of Biological Chemistry. Okay, and how, do you know the URL for that site? I will provide you the site okay. later. We'll get that in our show notes for our listeners. Right. Thank you very much for your time. Thank Andre. you very much for having me at this podcast, Drew. It was, a very, uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for joining us and listening to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions or topics you'd like to hear on future episodes, please email me at drew.lion.com. That's L-Y-O-N at WSU.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu and on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next time.